Hello and welcome to Underqualified Thoughts. My name is Andy and I'm sitting here with my brother-in-law, Caleb. And the first two episodes of season three, we had amazing interviews where we heard from Lauren and Leslie and how they've navigated life when they felt underqualified. And so our initial plan was to follow that up uh, today, or shall we say last time, uh, with a new kind of episode where we have a topic-based discussion. However, if you've listened to part one, you would know that life happened, as the saying goes. So today we are picking back up the conversation where we left off, and we're going to have yet another uh, throwback early episode style underqualified thoughts conversation where we process what's going on in our lives. And as previously mentioned, I've got Caleb here, and we're going to jump into that conversation. Caleb, are you ready to jump back in where we left uh, the people hanging on the cliff? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I didn't know if we wanted to tease that out a little further and talk about something a little bit more lightweight first, or what would you like to do? So I think that's a good idea. What I'll do is I'll give the people, you know, who are here itching. uh, They just finished last episode. They immediately came to this one a little bit of um, a little bit of meat before we go into your what's happened to you over the past week, because life most certainly happened to you. So what we were teasing last week was about a conversation of a guy who reached out to Caitlin on LinkedIn. And so the high level view of it is that that guy um, came with a personalized message. He owns his own company. He found Caitlin's LinkedIn profile and he requested, not only did he request for her to interview, but he also provided the offer up front. And so we are in the midst of that process right now. Don't worry. I haven't spoiled everything. There's plenty of details we can go into. But before we do that, um, Caleb and I had a phone call this week where he ended the phone call by saying, hey, if my car breaks down on the side of the road, don't be surprised. So let's hear some more details about that. So I've had my car. It's a 2001 Camry for, I think I got it when I was 17. So I've had it a little bit under nine, eight years, nine years. And it's my first car. It has 250,000 miles on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been a good car. It continues to be a good car. But on Monday, which everyone knows that sometimes Mondays are, I don't know, filled with busyness and something always happens on Monday. Um, I get to work. Insert every cartoon that's like Mondays, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that exact thing. So I, I get off the highway. No issues. I get onto the adjacent road that leads to my work and my car starts revving between like 1000 RPMs up to like 2500 and back down, back up, back down as I was switching through gears, but really quickly and kind of rapidly. So I just thought, oh, worst case. And you don't have a a manual car. So like the fact that this is happening is a really big issue. Yeah. So... Automatic transmission. So obviously the worst possible thing is having to replace that, which the car is worth like maybe fifteen hundred or maybe a thousand. I don't really know, but it's not worth much. So putting a new transmission in is like three or four thousand dollars. Other words, not worth it. So I get to work and I go through the whole work day just thinking, oh man, like I'm gonna have to try to get home with this piece of junk. Um, or stop somewhere along the way. Diagnostic fee at those places costs like 
$150. So here I am with a, a car that's probably worth, um, the, the diagnostic fee is worth 10% of what the car's worth is. And like, is that really something that I want to spend money on? Um, so anyway, that's where we started. I'm on the way home. It's all the way home. That same issue happens. And of course, like previously, I opened the hood and just kind of, kind of poked my head around and took a look at things. Um, I have like a general knowledge of cars. I mean, like general, like super general. More than me. Um, I'm not going to get in there and, and fix things. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like Andy and I have different levels of competency maybe, but it's pretty slight if we were to compare ourselves to someone that like, you know, David that knows a little bit more about cars, um, or my cousin in law, I guess is what our cousin in law. Is that how you say that? <laughs> Our cousin-in-law. Yeah. So I don't know if that's how you say it. But. It, it sounds right to me. Um, so from there, I just um, kept driving home, kept having issues. By the time I got home, smoke was coming out of the uh, from under the hood, and it was clear that the the car was like overworking for what it's supposed to be doing. Um, so then the next day I'm like, okay, so we came and I talked about it. There was like three options. Um, don't do anything about it at all. Okay. And just leave it because we have, um, two other cars and that's a different story, but we have, we have enough cars to get around for now. Um, so don't do anything about it. Um, take it and fix it, take it and see how much money it would cost to fix it. Probably hear that it's expensive and don't do anything about it. Um, so the following day, or maybe I think, oh, it was yesterday. I took it to the uh, to the to the place across the road, and uh, and then they looked at it, and I'm telling you, within one minute of them looking under the hood, they popped a wire back. We drove, and it worked perfectly. So, <laughs> I just thought to myself, again, even with a general knowledge of cars how underqualified we are oftentimes with most things in life. I mean, even just things that are just like the cables sitting there. I mean, it's sitting popped out. Like if I had seen it, I could have put it back in. Um, a very interesting situation. Oh, I have plenty of thoughts on this and here's the problem. I already tried chiming in a couple times because that's who I am. But as you know, and maybe as they have figured out by now, we're dealing with an audio delay. So I am going to try and rattle off as many thoughts that I've tried to keep in my head while you <laughs> were talking. And I'll try and go with the ones that I don't need you to respond to, followed by the ones I want you to respond to. So the first one is just how hilariously stereotypical you are that you live out in the middle of nowhere. Therefore, you have more cars than you have adults in your home. That's hilarious. The second one is you know so much more about cars than me. I don't care how little you know about cars. You know so much more than me. That's how little I know. And the third one that you don't have to respond to is don't you wish you had sold your car during the peak of COVID when it was worth $4,000? And the last <laughs> one that I actually want you to respond to is... To dive into that underqualified thing, like unpack that because 
not only do I feel underqualified when I look at my car, like I have to take it to a mechanic for basically anything that happens. I feel so underqualified when they're like, what's going wrong in your car? And I have no clue how to explain it. Like I'm the guy that's like, it's making a sound like, like I have no clue what's going on. I just have to try and just like make you understand that I have no clue what's going on, but sound business savvy enough that you don't just rip me off. And that's the underqualified line I have to walk when going to a mechanic. So, um, I mean, I guess we'd have to really sit down and quantify like how much knowledge we have independently of each other. Um, I don't know. I mean, people have different, they know different things about cars. Um, okay. So as far as selling the car during COVID, I'll address that. (laughs) If I knew what I know now, then, um, maybe I would. I'm still thinking about selling it anyway, (laughs) uh, just because, you know, yeah, who needs three cars and there's only two adults. Um, but that's a good backup car. So, um, the last point. Yeah. So the, we actually have a scanner that'll like scan the engine codes. Um, I grew up having one. We've always had kind of cars that needed to, we need to check engine codes and things and they let you clear it. Um, which sometimes can resolve certain issues and refresh the computer of the car, which, um, in my books, Andy and I are different in that he wants to get a Tesla and I want to get like a 1965 Mustang. And I'll jump in here. I want a Tesla, not because I care, like I have a super high passion for the environment or I care about looking cool in the car I drive. I hate driving so much that I want the car to drive for me. So whether it's Tesla, whether it's Rivian, whoever it is, whoever figures out fully autonomous driving first, Caitlin and I are already saving up our money to buy it. We both hate driving so much. Carry on. So Andy Andy wants to go forward. He wants a computer running the car for him. I want literally no computers. Like, take out all the computers. Because the less computers there are, the easier it is to fix. Um, because, I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't get in there with it. Anyway, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, underqualified. So the, the, one of the mechanics in the, in the shop was asking me about how did I get the code originally? How did I clear the code? And he was like, oh yeah, those, those tools, um, that, I mean, you, you, consumers can buy them pretty easily. Um, they, it attaches to a little plug in the bottom of your car. Um, and I just said, um, yeah, yeah, just, I read the code, saw what's going on and just took it to you guys. And this is what it's doing. And they said, yeah, those tools are, are good, good enough to let you know what's going on. Dangerous enough that you get in trouble. Um, which is true because I mean, you can start kind of fiddling with, with things. So, and, and in terms of underqualified, if we were to unpack it, there are times where there's like this weird gray zone between, um, being qualified like a mechanic and being underqualified where you, might be totally clueless um and and this like intermediate like level of of knowledge of yeah you know some things but honestly you're in more trouble being in that intermediary area than um uh, than just being incoherent for example this is a good example and it applies to to leslie's um aviation i've made the joke to mckamey sometimes that uh, if I had to fly a plane, I could. Um, and that's just because, I mean, choose the plane, I could probably fly it if I had to. 
Um, and it's it's a <laughs> it's a long story, but and we can talk about it more. But it's being that I never routinely fly a plane. Like there's no skills, there's no like built experience there, um, with a real life sort of situation. So one could say it's more dangerous if you're in the middle of the air and you need to fly it. Like you're kind of yeah, you better try anyway. But anyway. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to jump in now and to close the thought on the car, since it sounds like we're moving away from that. Another reason why I said that you know so much more about cars than me is because I did not know those car scanners existed until I met you and Ben and saw that you were doing those things. But to jump on this thread of you're more dangerous when you know a little bit than nothing, that is like a tried and true thing that they taught us in business school. And while I think that you're flying a plane analogy is garbage. It's not. It's not. It does not apply. I know this is lag right now. It's it's not a bad analogy. And I can talk about that more on a future episode. (laughs) Okay. We can dive in more on that later. You had your piece. I'll give my piece. I think it's a trash analogy. If you have no experience flying, then you have no experience flying and you're toast. And if you have some experience flying, you have some experience flying and that will help. But what they taught us in business school and specifically in marketing, which is where marketers marketers make their money in a lot of areas, but they really provide value here. You can influence people so much by pricing. It's called the good, better, best model. You see it all the time with like razors or any product where they're just constantly making new versions of it. And so the oldest one, aka the lowest quality, will be like $5. And then the next iteration will be $7. And the next iteration will be $9. You know, inflation aside, I don't know what razors cost now. I have an electric one. I haven't bought a new one in a couple of years. But the whole point is, if I know nothing, I'm going to be able to purchase that razor in such a short amount of time. I'll look at it and decide, do I want the most expensive one or do I want the cheapest one or do I want neither? And I'm going to pick the one in the middle. If I know a lot about razors, like if I'm the person who built the razor, I know exactly what the razor can do. I know what my needs are and I can make that decision really quickly. But if you're like me, where I'm like, okay, I know a little bit about razors. I've been buying razors for you know a couple of years now. I know what a good one feels like, maybe. Like I know what a bad one feels like for sure because I've bought cheap ones. And so I'm just riddled with indecision. And the price point, even in that scenario, is only like $2 different. But imagine it, you know, when you're buying a car or when you're buying a house. It's like, I know so, I don't know nothing. or So I have some knowledge. So I can't just write it off and say, I'm just going to pick one because I know enough to like cloud my decision-making, but I don't know enough to like drive it home and confidently move forward. So you just get stuck in the cycle of indecision, worrying about if you're making the best decision and then just like questioning a ton after you do it with the whole, you know, what you've said, buy once, cry once. If you are right in that middle there, you are going to buy multiple times and cry multiple times because you just don't know what decision to make. And you're going to take a lot of time making a decision each time. And that's where the marketing gurus make their money because they influence you with the prices and they just convince you to 
Like, oh, don't buy the cheapest one. Buy the one in the middle. And, you know, if you get a million people to spend two more dollars, you just got, you know, two million more dollars for your company. Yeah, that's a, a good example with a different kind of product idea. Very interesting. Yeah, I was a bit rambly. This is definitely a throwback early episode style underqualified thoughts episode because I didn't have that thought out before I started talking and I just started rambling. I said the word marketer probably like 10 times uh, and I just said so many things just like over and over and over again. But, you know, we're working. We're growing here. So at this point, we are ever closer to your drop dead time. So do you want to transition into Kate's story or do you want to finish with any closing thoughts here first? Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to hear about Caitlin's story. Is she going to join us? Uh, she is not going to join us right now, but she did make a comment earlier today that she said, if this goes positively, you're definitely going to have to have me on. So that's a big deal. What does that mean? What does Perfect that mean? Perfect segue, Caleb. Let me explain. So how this all started, I didn't listen to the last episode before we recorded this, so I don't know exactly how we left it off, so I'll just start from scratch. Caitlin works in Salesforce, and that is very marketable and is in high demand right now. Literally just the title, Salesforce. And so she, all the time, gets peppered on LinkedIn with like, hey, come work for our company. Hey, come do this. Uh, like, come make this much money. Come work this hard for us. And they're, they have always been robotic, copy and paste, not personalized messages. You know, shout out to your boy, Caleb. Uh, cold calling isn't dead. Impersonal messages are dead. Um, so an example of that is this guy. Uh, we'll call him John for now because that's his real name. And he reached out to Caitlin and he has his own company. And he said, hey, I saw your background. I saw that you've done data analytics. I saw you've been an engineering tech. I saw you've been a software developer. I see you're now a Salesforce admin and that you studied math. And so he sent a personalized message and showed that he went through Caitlin's entire LinkedIn profile and liked the fact that she had a math background and had done so many different things because it shows that she's versatile uh, and is just interested in learning and doing new things. And so he reached down to her and said, you know, he doesn't know what Caitlin's currently making, but what he said was, he's like, hey, you seem great. I'd love to interview you. And by the way, here's my offer. You can make $14,000 more than you're currently making and work one fewer day of the week. And Caitlin and I were like, what is going on? Like, this is amazing. This is awesome. For context, this message came a month ago, AKA two weeks before Caitlin got laid off. Caitlin's plan on the Tuesday morning she got laid off was to have a meeting with her manager and say, hey, I got this really enticing offer. What do you guys think about it? But then she logged in and her and her manager were laid off. So that was a whole thing that we already talked about last episode. So with this audio delay, I'll take a break and I'll let you jump in to 
uh, comment before I keep going and give more details of how this has progressed. So on this podcast, we don't particularly, I wouldn't say that we're a Christian podcast in that way. I think that we would call ourselves more like we're Christians that have a podcast. Classic. I was waiting for it. We're not Christian podcasters. We're podcasters who happen to be Christian. Um, And obviously, that's not to diminish the fact that everything we do isn't, or sorry, is based around faith in God. It's just to emphasize that we're not trying to come off as preachy or particularly built around, I don't know, there's some people that constantly, that's the only thing they do. Their podcast, their business, their family, community, everything is always this Christianese jargon type of thing. And while we're um, Christians, we want to build an environment that hosts not just Christians and this space. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that we're trying to have a broader audience and those people who use more of the Christianese, as you would say, and I would say, that's a funny term, um, they have a very specific audience. They're trying to talk to Christians about kind of in the weeds, what it looks like to live out your faith every single day conversations, and that is their sole focus, and those people are needed. And we are trying to have broader conversations of just our life in general, and of course, adding that without a perspective of our faith, which we have. Um, Of course, those people can say, oh, you just want to have a broader audience, so more people listen to you, and you blow up bigger, and I would say the answer is yes. Like, of course, that's part of the reason, in the sense that, like, we have, like, everything we do has a small twinge of selfish motives, uh, because we're not perfect, but that's not, like, the sole reason why we're going for it. The sole reason why we're going for it is because how we're having these conversations is what feels most natural to us, rather than getting to a more preachy, soapboxy level. Although we do have soapbox moments from time to time. So, so I mean, yeah, and I, I would extend that thought by saying that, I mean, we're not really out for a huge audience. Uh, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not over here trying to make a huge, huge audience. Uh, if so, we'd probably be preachy in area, other areas, or we would, um, we would market ourselves as more, of the entertainer type of podcast. Um, but that being said, I mean, the, the conversations we're having on this podcast are how you'll find us on a day-to-day basis. We're not just going around slapping people with the Bible. Um, it, it's just, I mean, this is who we are. Uh, and hopefully those that talk to us in person uh, that know us recognize that if they listen to this. So where I was going with all of this is that... Um, having an opportunity with another job that's actually a good idea like it's actually um the the job the pay the um the hours maybe the the approach this guy took um a a month or so before being laid off uh is i mean sure the opportunity might not work out we don't know yet um you know if if we get caitlin on here at some point uh then it probably means positive things (laughs) um but like (laughs) The, the point is that we can always have peace knowing that, that God is in control. Um, and even if this does fall through, I know that I had several interviews along the path to my own job currently that, yes, I, I was turned down for those opportunities. But every time I had an interview, it pushed me forward knowing that, okay, God, it is going to open a door at some point. Um, 
So that's a, a really cool thing to, to kind of witness right now with, with the Sullivans. Well done reeling that tangent back in. We basically just tried to externally process what our vision for the podcast was in the middle of a podcast. Um, to put a pin on that, when I said big audience, I just meant in the sense that, you know, obviously the, the word niche or niche, however you want to say it, gets thrown around a ton. And so like, I mean, a bigger audience in the sense that we're not just making this for people who are Christians and that's it. So there's Identical the bigger to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to pick the story back up very much. So what you're saying of like seeing God's hand in it to the point that on the Tuesday that Caitlin got laid off, I was, as I already described at moments, I was like an emotional wreck and super stressed out. And at other moments I was very calm and peaceful because like I've mentioned before, like I understand that God has provided for me in the past for situations that look different. But if I realize that the situations have more commonalities than differences, namely God knew they were coming and he has a plan for them, then it's going to allow me to trust that this situation looks completely different to me, but it doesn't look completely different to him. So that was the whole like back and forth when I said I felt at peace and then super stressed because, you know, I'm only human after all shout out to one of our previous episodes. Um, the, but the thing that I said on that Tuesday to Caitlin was, I don't care what happens in like a general sense. Like I would love for her to get this job. It sounds like a great opportunity, but whether that comes through or it doesn't like the fact that this showed up three weeks before you got laid off and you were like super excited about it. And the only tension you felt was leaving a job that you love for the job that you love to fall out from underneath you clearly couldn't have been orchestrated any better by us. And so that just gives me yet another example of like, like whether it's God's plan to bring this to completion and get Caitlin a job, it shows that he cares that he's paying attention and that he is going to provide because if nothing else, it has provided us a tangible level of peace to see his hand working through this. Um, you know, rather than getting laid off, being completely blindsided and not knowing where to start, you know, like the whole, you know, I know we've been through it. The whole updating your resume, putting yourself out there, start cold applying for jobs, talking, talking to all your friends to get advice on what to do. The fact that we can start this process by going through an interview process, which by the way, Caitlin, the first step was to meet with John for a half hour. She did, uh, you know, they bonded as much as they could Two strangers talking about business for 30 minutes. Like he seems like a great guy and his company seems great. And he sent her a technical interview problem that Caitlin had two to three hours to solve. And by solve, just get as much work done as you can. They knew she wasn't going to be able to solve the problem in that time frame. They just wanted to see how her brain works, how she thinks, how she attacks a problem. That's way bigger than you can handle and outside of her area of expertise. She completed that earlier this week. She sent it to John and John just sent her this long, amazing interview about like 
all these things, like all positive of like, you did this so well, like we love seeing this and da, 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 da. And so now this coming week, they're going to be scheduling an interview where they do some live coding. Basically, Caitlin's going to work while they watch her work and they're going to pick apart a problem together. And then either in that interview or there'll be a next one where she meets uh, another person from the company and they just kind of get like, you know, at that point, it would be like all the final details squared out. Because if she gets that far through the process and they still like her, they're probably going to want to bring her on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fascinating. That's great. Um, And yeah, it's just it's just got to be super encouraging to see those things um, come to come to fruition, even if it is simply a, um, a soft exit into the world of, of job searching, you know, like if this doesn't work out, worst case, it's just a, Hey, like people love Salesforce people. It's just a, Hey, like keep putting yourself out there because you and I talked about it. It's not Salesforce and those type of, you know, SaaS businesses are, um, they're always looking for those people. Now it's a hard skill that's desperately needed Mm -hmm. um and pays well yeah there's so many positives about this from the hard skills that caitlin has developed the fact that her and there and there's so many things like like those hard skills the fact that she has a job title that's desirable the fact that you know she's married and i have an income so she's not going from money to zero she's going from you know having money to a little bit less money and there's so many little things Ooh, good voice crack there there are so many little things that are have just perfectly worked together from like years past, like her dad giving her advice on what major to choose that are coming to fruition now. Uh, that is just incredibly helpful. But to tie a bow on this nicely, because that drop dead time is ever closer because that's how time works. I'll say that the main thought that I wanted to get from this to have my little soapbox moment, the main thought that I want to get out is don't let the fear of the unknown stop you. And by that, I mean, to tie this back to the first episode, there will be 177 days from the time Caitlin and I signed a contract on a home, and then we will close on the home. And there are so many things that have happened between that I could not have imagined. And if I had imagined, they might've stopped me from going forward. And the reason I want to say don't let the fear of the known of the unknown stop you is not because it's not from the angle of like, do your work, prepare, like make sure there's as few unknowns as possible. It's like, no matter what you do, you cannot plan away all the problems and you're not, and you just flat out, you can't control every aspect of your life. So if you let the fear of the unknown stop you to the farthest degree, that means you're not going to do anything because you're never going to understand something fully, or you'll think you understand something fully you move forward, you realize you don't, and then you'll be more rattled because you thought you had planned away all your problems. And to add one more thought to that, all of the three things that we've talked about, positive things have come out of every single one of those negative circumstances. That awful tax bill I had to pay for 2021 and 2022, you know what's great about it? I saw it so soon that we only had to pay $72 in late fees. And even better, I saw it before the IRS saw it, so I'm not getting audited. That's awesome. Big fan. Of course, you know, I'll let you know if I did it wrong a second time a couple of years from now, because at, at that point, we'll be finding out if we get audited. Um, 
the chiropractor that I went to that I've had to spend $1,200 over the last three months, my back actually feels better. Like it's not perfect. It's not fully healed, but like I am more mobile than I've been in years. And that is awesome. I hate that I've had to pay $1,200, but it's a tangible lesson while I'm also learning about generosity in other parts of my life. It's a really good time for me to see, oh, it is actually worth spending money on things that add value and not just add value for myself, but add value for my family. That helps me be a little less tight fisted with my money, which is a, you know, something I didn't think that would happen waiting six months to close on a house. I thought I would be super tight fisted, like don't spend any money, like we need money for our house. Uh, And then of course, Kate losing her job. We already touched on that today. Like, even if it's just like you mentioned a soft landing, um, the fact that, you know, this interview with John and this opportunity with John showed up right before she got laid off. It's like, come on, dude, you can't control every aspect of your life. You can't make all the problems go away. And when problems show up, there's going to be positive things and good, tangible good that comes out of it. I love it all. I love it all. Stunned you speechless. That was, I'll let you know, people, you already know there was an audio delay. I don't know if you're going to keep going after that. I I got this, man. (laughs) It's good. All right. So then to, uh, since I stunned you speechless, since you don't have a soapbox to stand on, we will tease the next episode and then let you get out of here. Uh, We don't know what order it will come in. We don't know if we're going to have an interview next, but we do, as we mentioned at the top of this episode and last episode, want to pull a new style of pull off a new style of episodes where we do topic-based discussions. And so the segue I already mentioned, we want to talk about generosity and the main theme that we're going to touch on during that generosity episode is to not overcomplicate what you believe you're being asked to do. And I said it that way for the non-Christian perspective, but of course, from our Christian perspective, it's don't overcomplicate what you think uh, God is asking you to do either explicitly through scripture or through being prompted by the Holy Spirit to take action. So that's our little teaser for what's coming next. Caleb, any finishing final concrete thoughts for the viewers? Nope, not yet. Not yet. All right, well done. Felt like this is a pretty compact episode, so we'll just end it with a hard cut. Peace. Peace.